the TJU presents a flawless production of That's right, welcome to another special TJU flawless production. Uh, this time, in anticipation of the release of Mortal Kombat 1, the game, we thought we would do a special presentation of Mortal Kombat, the 1995 film. But um, be advised, like the episode, uh, was it the Star Wars movie we did? This script is not the finalized filming version. This is a special second, the first or second draft that was originally done. So some of the stuff you'll hear in this uh, was not in the film. Uh, there will be scenes missing that were from the film because they were added later. But uh, we think this will be uh, kind of neat. Right, buddy? Yep. Okay. Um, so for this part, I will be doing the parts for the narration, the director, Master Boyd, Jax, Kano, and Grandfather. And I'll be Chan, Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, Nancy, Sonia, Sing Shung, and first assistant. Fade in. Exterior, Liu Kang's village, day. In a disjointed dream sequence, a young Asian man, Liu Kang, wanders through his native Chinese village as the inhabitants go about their daily affairs, seemingly oblivious to his presence. Liu is dressed in modern American clothing and carries a small carry-on bag, as if he has just arrived. An ancient temple nestles in a hillside at the far end of the village. Lou smiles at the familiar scene and turns to look out over a verdant rice paddy, the ripe stalks of rice waving in a gentle breeze under a sunny sky. Then a dark cloud covers the sun and the wind turns cold. Lou looks to a nearby hill. Two figures fight, silhouetted against the sky, circling around an ancient altar of stone. A raven calls high overhead. Lou looks up to the bird which soars and circles. When Lou looks back at the hilltop, one of the figures is staggering back as the other attacks. Because this is a dream, Lou can suddenly see the face of his brother, Chan. Chan falls back before the attack of his opponent, clad in black silk whose face he cannot see. Chan, strangely, seems to look right at Lou and in a frightened, despairing voice, cries out. No! The second fighter lands a deadly blow, and Chan crumples to the hard stones. The second fighter stands over his inert for a moment, form a moment, excuse me, excuse me everybody, and then turns to gaze impassively down on Liu. Again, in the dream, Liu can clearly see the features of Shang Tsung. Shang now turns and looks straight at Liu. He thrusts his hand skyward in a talon-like gesture. It summons a flock of shadow birds that burst into the sky, devouring all light in their path bringing darkness, which spreads from the hill toward the village. The darkness reaches out to envelop everything, a surging void which flutters, pulsates swarms over the dreamer, wiping the frame. <clears throat> As you can see, they went with a cheaper option in the actual film. In dream time, it is later. The rice paddy is now muddy and foul. The raven circles in a leaden, leaden sky above the deserted village. An evil wind moans through the mysteriously empty houses. The raven croaks its odd staccato call, like someone rapping with a staff on a hollow wood chime. Chan's body is now laid out on the stone altar. Chan! 
end dream sequence. Interior, Liu Kang's apartment, American City, dawn. Liu awakens in a tangle of sheets, calling his brother's name. John! It's like your only lines for the first three lines. Lou blinks at the familiar surroundings of his room. Simple but modern furnishings, a stereo, and nearly smiles at the reassurance the familiar things give him after the dream. A nearly packed suitcase reminds him of something. His eyes fix on the crumples on the crumpled telegram on the night table next to his bed. And another nightmare floods over him. Only this one will not go away. Lou switches on the lamp, picks up the telegram, and rereads it. But the message has not changed. He hasn't dreamed it. Chan. Lou throws the telegram down and goes into the bathroom to start his shower. They cut the shower scene from the movie? How dare they? Zoom in on the telegram, which reads simply, Brother dead. Return home. Grandfather. Interior. Power plant. American city. Day. Establishing. Rain pours down outside and inside through gaping holes in the roof as a young American man, Johnny Cage, dressed like a very hip cop with a turtleneck sweater wearing an Italian sports coat, fights six very tough-looking thugs armed with clubs, brass knuckles, and lengths of pipe. But in an incredible display of grace and martial arts skill, Johnny takes down one tough guy after another until there remains only one huge dude with a lead pipe. Johnny drops to one knee, punching the thug very low. The big dude stands over Johnny. Stands over Johnny, frozen, confused. This is where you fall down. Enlightened, the big dude dramatically keels over. Johnny shakes his head, rises, and turns away, throwing his arms up in despair. Where do you find these guys? Cut! And the rain immediately stops. New angle. We now see the camera and lights and rain towers. Johnny and the others have been acting a scene from an action film. The director approaches, apologetic. The stuntmen climb to their feet. Sorry, Johnny. You'll be sorrier when they pull you off my next picture, Paul. The first assistant director now bellows into his headset. All right, everybody, reset. We go again in 15 minutes. I'm not doing it again. Johnny heads for his star trailer. Johnny, it's the last shot of the picture. We're losing our light out here. But Johnny continues to the star trailer where his agent Nancy intercepts him. Johnny, there's someone in your trailer who wants to talk to you. It better not be a reporter, Nancy. Interior, Johnny's trailer. The tabloid headline reads, Johnny Cage a phony, with a picture of Johnny yelling at a paparazzi underneath. A man sits casually in the trailer, reading the inside story as Johnny storms in. Hey, I don't give interviews without... The man reading the paper, Bill Boyd, lowers it, smiling. Johnny's expression turns from anger to one of awe and respect. Real professionals. Hi, Johnny. Master Boyd, sorry, I didn't... Johnny has lost his arrogance. He bows and eagerly shakes the older man's hand. I see the press is still giving you a hard time. They think I'm a big fake. I know you're not. Sensei, you were my idol growing up. It means a lot you saying that. Johnny, you're one of the best martial artists in the world. And I know a way you can prove it. Prove it? How? A tournament. The tournament. Held once a generation. Boyd takes a small scroll with ebony handles out of a pocket and hands it to Johnny. When unrolled, 
is inscribed with Chinese characters and the Mortal Kombat logo in the center. I've got to brush up on my Chinese. It's the most ancient tournament in the world, held on an island in the South China Sea. I've never heard of it. All the participants are sworn to secrecy. How can a secret tournament get me better press? The best fighters in the world are invited. If you win the tournament, you'll win their respect. They'll tell the entire world you're the real goods. Uh, I'm supposed to be prepping for my next film as soon as this one wraps tonight. I just don't see... Boyd stares silently at him, then reaches for the scroll. Of course, it's your reputation. If your reputation is as important as the box office, then... No! I mean, I'll work around it. I'm honored. I've got a lot of faith in you. How do I, uh... There's a boat. Dragon's Wing. Dock at Pier 40 Hong Kong. Tomorrow night. Off Johnny's thoughtful reaction. Interior. Power plant. Movie location. Day. Boyd steps from the trailer and shakes hands with Johnny. Thanks for everything. See you in the movies. Johnny goes back into his trailer as Boyd walks away. Boyd walks past the electricians and grips, and once out of sight, we hear very faintly the cacophonous sounds of many voices crying out in anguish. A dissonant music we will we will hear again as Boyd more slowly into the features of Shang Tsung, the sorcerer. Oh shit. Exterior: Hong Kong. Panorama: Day. Establishing: Superimpose Hong Kong. I can see it in my brain. Exterior, Hong Kong, warehouse district, on van, day. The van is parked discreetly between two buildings. Interior van. A band of black-clad commandos loads automatic weapons and riot guns as pan through the van. Stop on the gloved hands of the team leader, moving quickly through the lock and load procedure. Then pan up to reveal that the team leader is a woman, Sonia Blade, beautiful and hard as nails. She speaks softly to the second in command, Jax, an African-American. Kano will be heading out the back door as soon as we come in the front. Be there to cut him off. Oh, ye of little faith. Trust me. I trust one person on the planet, Jax, and you're talking to her. We go in ten. Sonia adjusts a tiny headset. Jax does the same. She nods to the she nods and the team pours from the van. Exterior, warehouse, continuous. The black clad commandos swirl around the building almost silently. The guard at the door is overwhelmed without a shot being fired. The two teams split up and Jax heads for the back with his men. Sonia and her team group around the door. Stun grenade. A team member takes a stun grenade from his satchel. Two other members have a battering ram against the door, breaking it in with one blow. The stun grenade is thrown inside. The team back off and hold their ears as it goes off inside. Then they rush through the door. Interior, warehouse, continuous. Sonia's strike team fan out inside. The criminals inside go down bloodlessly in a hand-to-hand combat. Speech of 13, I have no blood. Sonia moves in a direct line through the building, knocking aside anyone who gets in their way. She is driven, kinetic, never stopping as she uses all available cover to further infiltrate the building. Shots are fired at her. She returns fire with her automatic weapon. She can hear Jax's team crashing through the rear entrance with a loud stun grenade explosion. Shouts, gunfire, and more hand-to-hand combat all around. Sonia ignores most of the battle and keeps searching. She's looking for someone. 
a ruffian surprises her. She kicks his weapon away and slams him hard with the butt of her gun, then continues as if he were nothing but a nuisance. So cool. Interior, warehouse office, day. The office has a window to the warehouse interior. A large man with a shaved head and a patch over one eye peers out the window. This is Kano. He smiles, saunters over to a large packing crate, shoves it aside with his incredible strength to reveal a large, heavy grate leading down into the sewer. Shang Tsung sits across from him, watching him passively. Again, using his brawn, Kano lifts the heavy grate. You sure she'll follow me down here? After what you did to her partner, she'll follow you into hell. Just make sure she gets on that boat. She'll be there. Special delivery. Deliver her alive. Inside warehouse, Sonya crouches near the office and speaks into her headset. Jax, have you seen Kano? Hit my tongue. Negative. I think he's in the office. Sonya moves quickly toward the office, the warehouse office, gun ready. Sonya, wait for backup. Interior, warehouse office. Sonya crashes through the door, tucks, rolls, and comes up ready to blow anyone in their way. Whoa. Right? The only living thing inside is a large raven on a perch. Then Sonya sees the open grate. Damn. The raven croaks a strange wood chime sound, which catches her attention. She stares at the large, impassive bird, puzzled. Then she spots a list penned to a bulletin board on the wall behind the bird on its perch. She examines the list. Insert shipping schedule. A sailing schedule with many ships listed. One is circled in red, the dragon's wing. None of that happened. It was that nightclub scene. Like, right. It's, it's, similar, it's, similar, but... Uh, somewhat, but... Kano does go down a, a shaft. It's very true. And uh, she does do... She does blow. None of the bird stuff happened. Nope. Uh, exterior, Liu Kang's village, day. Liu Kang, in his leather jacket, blue jeans, and work shirt, stands just outside his native village as a bush taxi marked Hong Kong Taxi Co. Limited drives off. The village looks exactly like his dream, so much that he actually looks over the rice paddy at the neighboring hill. No one stands there now. Liu's grandfather comes slowly toward him, his back bowed with grief, but his face full of joy seeing Liu. The old man embraces his grandson. It's good you are here. Also, too, they're making it seem like it's a village rather than, like, a monastery. Like a monk. Right. Like the big temples they used. Yeah. <clears throat> I wasn't here for Chen. He spoke of you daily. You were his big brother. Almost a father since your parents left us. He was so proud of you living in America. He wanted you to be happy. Louis pierced by pangs of guilt as they walk into the village. How did he die, Grandfather? I'm acting. After you left, I didn't say anything. After you left, he followed in your footsteps, preparing for the tournament. Lou stops and stares. His voice rises in anger. The tournament? It wasn't enough. What? Nothing. It wasn't enough to fill my head with that nonsense? The grandfather is hurt. Lou feels even more guilty. To save the world from an unspeakable fate is not nonsense. Men fighting in a simple contest do not decide these things, Grandfather. How can you, a wise man, believe this? Chan believed in it. He trained very hard. 
He could never be as good as you, but he tried to be worthy to represent the Order of Light. How did it happen? I don't know for certain. I was away when a stranger came. New angle, the village. In flashback, as the grandfather narrates, we see the stranger enter the village dressed in black silk, his back to us. High overhead, a raven turns in a narrowing gyre, croaking its strange windchime call. The stranger continues through the village to exterior rice paddy. I, the stranger, what the fuck is with this bird? Like, he never he never had a bird in the game? Like I, They were trying something, but they changed their mind. Exterior rice paddy. The stranger stops. Lou's brother, Chan, a large, genial youth of 20, is working knee-deep in the rice paddy. When he sees the stranger, he is puzzled, but then offers a friendly smile. He sought out your brother and told him that he, too, was training for the tournament. The two decided to train together. Chan was very naive. He mistrusted no one. Reverse angle. He had to look for Kamidogu. Can you imagine? Reverse angle. We now see that the stranger is Shang Tsung. Exterior, hilltop, altar of light. Chan now stands facing Shang atop the hill. When I came back that evening, Chan had not returned. We found him on the crest of the hill near the altar of light. It was strange. There were bruises, but it was more like life had been sucked from him. At that, excuse me. At that moment, the raven calls out loudly. In flashback, God, imagine me doing that voice roll of fucking narration. Exterior village present. Go Lou looks. Lou lo, no. Lou looks to the hill, but it is deserted. Grandfather, it's my fault. I dreamed his death. The dreamer does not cause the thing he dreams. <laughs> David Lynch move. Lou puts his arm around the frail man. And they walk toward the village. End of part one.